Climate change is happening at an astronomical rate and young people are the ones who will have to pay. Today, we learn of an astounding young female entrepreneur who is currently leading the world's largest network of ocean leaders with a presence in over 80 countries and supporting over 1,000 projects. Welcome to episode 28 with the CEO and founder of the Sustainable Ocean Alliance, Daniela Fernandez. You are listening to Len Jones, Party of Two where experts and influencers speak honestly and openly about their keys to success. Sponsored by TrueFace.ai, where your face is the key. For more information on TrueFace, please contact your host at ian at TrueFace.ai. Now, pay close attention, because you're going to learn today. Good morning, party people. You already know it is a damn good day to have a damn good day. And you know, I've always been obsessed with coral reefs since I was in middle school. It all started with winning a goldfish at one of those ring toss games at a fair, which led to an upgraded 10-gallon tank, a 28-gallon tank, a 46-gallon tank, then ultimately a 125-gallon saltwater aquarium with a full 46-gallon sum. In order to afford this project, I started working for my local fish store when I was 14, and then went on to become scuba certified at 16. This love for the coral reefs in the oceans has brought me so much joy because there is nothing as beautiful as a fully thriving coral reef ecosystem. Unfortunately, as our standard of living rises, our oceans are dying faster and faster every single day. I recently spoke to a local dive master I met in the Dominican Republic, and he mentioned that in just three years, an entire reef that was engulfed with life has been about 90% bleach. And these sad stories are shaping the supposed inevitable fate our oceans face today. And if you're new to the podcast, our mission here is twofold, to educate aspiring entrepreneurs by dissecting the come-up stories of incredible humans by extracting the golden nuggets that you can apply now to better your life. And second, to have all my friends in my life that are making moves, to meet my other friends in life making moves, to create one giant community of extraordinary people. Now, if you share my sentiment that things need to be done to put a stop to climate change, then today's guest will have you smiling from ear to ear. I first met Daniela a few years ago through our mutual friend Craig, who called me up to help promote her accelerator, which has now already he went on to accelerate five ocean tech startups. At the young age of 19, Daniela Fernandez founded the Sustainable Ocean Alliance as a college room idea. Five years later, she has built SOA into a global organization that is cultivating and accelerating innovative solutions to protect and sustain the health of the ocean. With phenomenal speed, SOA has created the world's largest network of young ocean leaders through establishing a presence in over 50 countries, launching the first ever ocean solutions accelerator to support ocean startups and partnering with corporations such as Lindblad Expeditions, The Economist, NGOs, and governments including Indonesia and the European Union to develop technological solutions that can address the greatest threats facing our planet. Daniela has been recognized for her work by former U.S. Secretary of State John Kerry, President Bill Clinton, and EU Commissioner Carmena Vela. So if that doesn't do it for you, Daniela is also a contributor to National Geographic and has been interviewed by Voice of America, New York City TV, Ocean Radio, and has been on a panel and keynote speaker at multiple high-level events, including the Economist World Ocean Summit, the United Nations Impact Conference, U.S. Capitol Hill Ocean Week, Collision Conference, Sustainable Brands Conference, and World Ocean Festival. In this episode, Daniela speaks about the most important climate-focused activities you can participate in to help shape our future, current state of climate control, how she plans on accelerating 100 ocean companies over the next three years, struggles with paving the way in a new industry, and key 
key conversations that helped make SOA what it is today. Now, before we start, I must say, if you enjoy this podcast and want to support future conversations like these, please leave a positive review. It means a lot. So without further ado, let's jump into it. We are live with the lovely Miss Daniela Fernandez. Daniela, it's been too long. How are you? It's so good to be on your podcast. The last time I saw you, we were just talking about your adventures and going around the world, and here you are now. Speaking of going around the world, it's like I can never get a hold of you. You're always in a different country speaking in all different places. I mean, did you foresee yourself five years ago being where you're at now, speaking in front of some of the largest stages that we know of, such as speaking at the United Nations on behalf of climate control? No, it's a short answer. Five years ago, I was a freshman in college, and as many of your listeners, I'm sure, are in that stage of life where you're just questioning yourself, you're questioning what are you going to do with your life, you're just trying to figure it out. So back then, I was also trying to figure it all out. (laughs) (laughs) So have you always been obsessed with the ocean? Is that something that has really connected with you? Or is there a certain element of sustainability that has kind of nipped your heart? Yeah, so my journey with with the ocean, I would say climate change began when I saw Albert's movie, An Inconvenient Truth. Whoever hasn't seen it yet must watch it. There's also a number two by now. (laughs) Have you seen it? I saw half of it. Oh no, okay. You must watch the the rest. And if not, we should make a film about the environment that compels you to watch the whole thing. But, you know, I watched the movie when I was 12 years old. And, you know, I think we all go through life thinking that we live in this perfect world, especially when we're little kids, right? We see our parents are superheroes. We walk around with, you know, there's no care in the world that we have. And and I, I felt like I had that childhood up until I saw Alger's movie. And then my entire world was destroyed because climate change was the biggest threat to our generation. So for me... I that that movie changed my life and, and since then I, I ask myself every single day what can I do to help the environment like what can one person do in my everyday life you know I became vegan after watching that movie um, you know I started really thinking about my choices as an individual but throughout my entire educational career I just kept wondering you know can I join a, a an environmental club can I go volunteer like what is that tangible thing that I could do and and I couldn't answer that question up until I got to college so when you got to college though were you just like did you have a moment where you're sitting in school maybe you're working on some sort of class that you might not have cared too much about and you're super frustrated and you're like what I need to be doing something actionable towards my goal like what was that day like when you're like ding 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 I'm going to take the first step to file my LLC or create my Facebook group or like how did day one start of the Sustainable Ocean Alliance? So day one happened at the UN, uh, which is the funny story here. Um, like I mentioned, I, I had this big passion for, for the environment and for climate. But given that I grew up in Chicago, right, I'm a total city girl. I've been to the ocean. I love the ocean, but I, I don't have the typical ocean conservation story, right, that I grew up scuba diving or that I grew up in the ocean, but rather I was introduced to the ocean when I was a freshman in college and I got a chance to attend a meeting at the UN and the meeting at the UN happened to be on the state of the ocean. So I'm you know, sitting at this uh, ocean meeting being surrounded by CEOs, uh, heads of state, NGO leaders, and I have two major takeaways. So the first one was that I was one of the only young people in the room, right? I mean, I'm looking all around me and there's older people, of course, right? 
they're they're meant to be there. Um, however, given that this is the problem that we're inheriting, my my biggest takeaway in aha moment was like, why isn't this room filled with college students and young people that should be learning about um, you know things that are happening to the ocean? And I'll give you some stats in a minute because I feel like everyone should know this, but that was one takeaway. And the second takeaway was around the problems. Right? The entire conversation at this UN meeting was around, um, you know, we're going to have more plastic and fish in the ocean by weight by 2050. You know, all fisheries will collapse in the next, you know, 10 to 15 years. And all of these depressing statistics. And I'm, I'm just sitting there fearful and hopeless and thinking, where are the solutions? Why is no one in this room talking about this is what I'm doing to prevent this from happening, or this is how I'm going to make a difference. So I, I left that meeting just, that was my moment when I knew that, A, I had to get young people involved in this conversation, and B, we had to change the narrative to talk about solutions instead of only the problems. Did the young people respond instantly when you were building these different divisions? Because I believe you have a bunch of different chapters at different schools. How? What was the uh, difficulties that you ran into when building out these different chapters and and keeping everyone motivated and or did you find people that were just super excited off the wazoo to do anything they could help? Yeah, the idea of creating these chapters or hubs, like we call them, um, we call them Ocean Solutions hubs, was around. It was an organic demand. So I hosted a um, a conference at Georgetown. That's where I went to, to school. And, you know, this conference, the idea of the conference was to bring young people from different universities together with uh, world leaders such as John Kerry and Sylvia Earle and, and um, Gary Mell, who uh, is the CEO of National Geographic, not thinking that this would become, <laughs> uh, you know, a, a large global organization, thinking let's do something to get things, you know, get the conversation going. So after that event, I had a lot of young people that came from different universities and they were the ones that gave me the idea because they were asking me, how can I bring this back to my high school, my university? You know, this is amazing. I want to bring the the energy and the knowledge exchange and the passion back home. So that's when this uh, the scaly effort began, you know, because of the demand. There wasn't a lot of pushing that I had to do. Young people like me were out there. They just needed that support mechanism. So you went out there. You had this hunch like, OK, I'm going to throw an event. That's going to be step one. That's a short term goal that I can get. You brought in all the right people and all of a sudden this event just had these people from all over wanting to help out. And from there, you're like, OK, I have all these people that want to do something. I'm going to give them an idea to do something. And it just evolved from there. I mean, that is so cool because you saw one little goal that you could accomplish and you took action on that goal and everything just spiraled out from there. And how big is the SO Alliance to date now? So now we have young leaders in over 130 countries, <laughs> which is insane. I, I still am uh, amazed by how fast you know, we have grown. Um, you know, we have over a thousand projects on the ground, you know, young people actively working on anything from uh, creating awareness through art, right, through doing scientific research to planting corals or through starting their own ocean technology company. So you know, we're not just focused on one area of, uh, I guess, of, of change making, but rather we want to talk to young people and say, hey, what are you passionate about? How can we support you? Which is a very different mindset from traditional nonprofits that go around the world and say, you know, sign this petition, you millennial or you Gen Zer, um, because we know the answer and you should support us. Rather, we're asking our audiences, 
what do you care about and how can we be of service, right? That mentality is really important in how we develop the organization. Yeah, and I liked what we were talking about before this about um, social entrepreneurship. And I'm curious, do you think that the different companies that are building businesses and organizations around social entrepreneurship, do you find them easier to work with and more fun and open to work with than, say, uh, companies that aren't in some sort of social entrepreneur type situation? Yeah, I guess we've only been working with those social entrepreneurs, given that any company that applied to our program, our accelerator program, they have to have impact one of their their requirements to join. Um, However, I think that a lot of our generation, they're headed in that direction, right? There's no, there's no mentality anymore of let me make a ton of money. And then when I'm 60 or 70 years old, I'll retire and give it away. I feel like millennials and Gen Zers have completely evolve and said, I'm a lifestyle activist, right? I'm going to decide how to how to dress myself, how to eat, how I can uh, make decisions with the purchases I'm making and with the people I'm supporting and the companies I'm supporting. So it's definitely been that that mentality shift, right, of our generation, which is so refreshing and, and gives me hope. Absolutely. And Danielle, you made a big jump since the last time I've seen you. Um, with your accelerator. Uh, first of all, I was recently on Instagram and I saw uh, SO Alliance at SO Alliance. Phenomenal Instagram for inspiration. I saw you guys post about this one startup that's making cups that you can actually eat. Phenomenal idea. Oh my God, I want to try one. Uh, <laughs> let, let's talk about the accelerator. I saw that you guys recently secured more funding. Tell me about just the journey of the accelerator. Yeah. So, you know, like the organization and when you're an entrepreneur, you have these these big plans and a vision. And the question is, what's the execution like? So I, I announced the accelerator program um, at the Ocean conference that took place in Malta. Uh, and, you know, the background story there was that when we made the announcement at the conference, we yet didn't have a full-fledged plan of how this was going to all work out. You know, we, and we, you know, at that point, I already had um, Craig Dudenhofer, who is um, the co-founder of the Accelerator, and also uh, in my first hire to the organization. We knew we were going to pull this off, but we just had no idea how or whether there was a market, you know, given that we were the first Ocean Tech Accelerator. So after that announcement at the Our Ocean Conference, we came back to San Francisco and truly started building the product from the ground up. Everything from developing the, the lecture series, uh, finding the mentors for the program, um, you know, getting a curriculum in place, and then finding our startups. So you know, we, we were able to build that whole program out. Um, we have five companies as part of the program in 2019, and one of them was Lollyware, the one you're talking about. Um, not only are they making the cups, but they're also making straws out of seaweed now. And it's, again, that, that concept of why do we have to continue making products to harm the environment? Why can we instead transition to business models? that are in harmony with our planet. And and that's the theory of change that they have in replacing all plastic straws, which is, you know, their next product. And down the line, they want to replace plastic in general. So, you know, that was the background with with that one company. Um, But at Davos, we just announced that we're going to accelerate 100 ocean companies in the next three years. (laughs) So again, another big ambitious goal um, and the, one of our supporters um, is Mark Benioff, you know, who truly believes in the vision that we have and, and is just an amazing leader in the space. So that's the that's the new um, the new goal. Amazing. And you keep setting the bar higher and higher every year. 
and you don't really know exactly what you, it's you're figuring it out as you go you know you're taking the blueprint from advisors from mentors of people have done it before and you're figuring it out and that's one of the biggest keys here it's not like you know someone is just sitting there telling you exactly what to do like you went out there and you just try stuff out and see what works but you know this is something that's never been done before there's never been an ocean tech accelerator only for ocean i mean what you're doing is literally so unique i mean these companies are what's going to shape the future of the world that's going to shape humanity i know for me if i had the option of drinking through a seaweed made straw than a plastic straw and i'm pretty sure everyone listening to this podcast would agree they take the seaweed straw like we want we all want nature we want to appreciate things but making it easier for people to do those things it's incredible but it's probably not all sunshine i mean what has been like the biggest challenge that you personally feel like you've run into throughout the accelerator is it finding the right companies is it providing the right mentorship or leadership what do you think has been the biggest difficulty throughout that process it was honestly creating a market from scratch right because if you're going out there talking to investors about ocean tech and they have no idea what the ocean tech space is right it's not only are you trying to recruit them but you're also educating them right the same thing with um, mentors in the tech space right getting them on board for a Typical uh, tech program is easy, right? Because they get it. They get IoT, they get um, AI, they get drones, but they don't understand the ocean economy. So the biggest hurdle we had to overcome was educating people, getting them first on board, and then you know getting them curious enough to join us on this journey. And now they're 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 bought in, right? They get it, they understand, they experience it. So the biggest hurdle was truly the education curve that existed, um, especially here in, in San Francisco and the Silicon Valley. And of course, globally, right. As I'm going to these different platforms and uh, speaking around the world, the question always comes, right. What is an ocean technology company? I've never heard of this before. Right. So, um, you know, one, one quote I'd like to use, and I'm sure you've heard it. Uh, when you talk about an entrepreneur, right, you're flying the plane as you build it. For us, we had to build the actual aircraft market because it didn't exist as we're building the plane and flying at the same time, right? So that was definitely one of the most difficult parts of this. Yeah, I think it's really interesting too because you would welcome competitors in this market. I mean, people that are all contributing to helping the same cause I think that's what's so cool is you're building it and you're paving the way for maybe someone else to come in and use what you've done to to continue moving and continue making a big impact. And you guys are still based in San Francisco, correct? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, we're in San Francisco. Do you think San Francisco is like the best place to be for emerging startups and for accelerator programs? I think it is, given that there's a lot of collaboration and entrepreneurial spirit that that has evolved given the Silicon Valley community. Um, I know there's a lot of efforts out there around the world trying to, you know, duplicate this community in, in different places. And what's beautiful here is that when you have an idea and you pitch it to an investor or to a, another founder or to a colleague, they're not asking you about the limitations of it, right? They're thinking about how, how bigger can you go and, you know, how can you scale and how can I help you? So that that mentality of community, of support, of, of mentorship um, goes a long way. And, and our, our hope is to replicate this right, and, and take it to different countries. Um, and we're doing that through our leadership hubs. But, you know, down the line, as, as we grows and grows, we, we'd like to have innovation hubs all over the world, right, where we have different accelerator programs um, that can support our regional startups as opposed to just having one program here in San Francisco. 
Amazing. Yeah. You, you keep the vision so strong. When the vision is strong, everything else is going to follow. And you're doing such a good job leading that ship and making sure it's consistently moving forward because obviously the leader of an organization has to continue making those breakthroughs and having those breakthrough moments. But I'm sure it's not all been very easy in terms of just like this journey you've been on. And I'm sure there's times you've been getting really stressed out. I mean, especially now that you have a full team. Do you ever feel like you've hit a point in your life where you really kind of hit like rock bottom where like maybe you didn't start believing in yourself maybe like you had this great idea that everything was going to work out but then you're talking to 5 10 15 20 investors are all telling you no and you're like oh man I don't know if I can do this can you attest to a breakthrough moment you think that happened maybe an email you sent or maybe just something that was just like oh my god I cannot believe that just worked <laughs> Yeah, so I think every single day is the roller coaster, right? When you're just like, yes, I'm excited. And then something comes up in the middle of the day and you're like, no, how are we going to do this? Um, but what gets you through those hurdles is just the, the, the inner drive and believe that everything is going to be okay. And as cliche as that sounds, you as a founder and an entrepreneur, you have to believe it because if you don't believe it with every part of your soul and your mind and your spirit, the rest of your team won't believe it. Um, and I think that I, I bring that, that drive and the passion, right. And, and I, and I believe our mission and I know we're going to accomplish everything we set out to do. Um, and that's how you, you can't let yourself be discouraged, right? Because people around me said, no, this is, crazy or um we don't understand how technology is going to help the ocean it might harm it or uh what do young people have to do with this situation you know i talked to a lot of foundations especially early on as i was trying to raise money for a sustainable ocean alliance in the east coast and a lot of foundations just said you know what we don't understand the concept or you don't fit into our strategy so you're going to get no, you know, left and right. Like the, the, if, if there's an entrepreneur out there who's only gotten yeses. They're not a true entrepreneur, right? right. Um, but, you, but you have to understand how to take the no's and spend them positively and how to always learn from them. And, and, and that's the question. How can I turn a no into a yes? So, you know, I feel like the, the breakthrough moments that you're asking about specifically uh, for us was the pineapple fund. Um, this was back in 20, uh, I guess last January. Um, and we were fairly close to running out of money <laughs> and again, right. The, the drive and the, and the grit it takes to keep sending out those emails. And I sent an email to this pineapple fund, um, anonymous person <laughs> who was giving out donations to nonprofits. Again, one of those Hail Marys, right. When you're just like, I'm going to email just them and send ask it. them. Yeah, yeah, you just have to do it. And so I sent the email and, you know, the next day I get an email back saying, hey, Daniela, you know, here's a million dollars. Just like that. <laughs> no, really, that, that was that was it. <laughs> and, you know, I cried when he's like, oh, well, you know, this is shady. I'm not even sure if it's real, but I knew, I knew it was real. There was no doubt in my mind that we got the funding and everything was going to be okay. 
But again, it was one of those miracles that happened in life, right? Where you just get the funding from the anonymous source. But you just kept throwing out those those Hail Marys, as you say. You kept sending out those dream emails, that that one connection. You knew you guys were just one connection away that would foresee the same vision as you. And you just kept sending it. So, I mean, it was a predictable thing. And then recently I saw, was it Mark Beanoff that recently just invested in you? Yeah, Mark Benioff. Yeah. So he's the, um, the co-CEO of Salesforce. And another one of those situations, right? This time he's not, he's not anonymous, right? So there's a name and a face to him. Um, and when I met with him, it was so inspiring to, to meet someone who gets the vision. I didn't have to sell him on it. I had to just explain it to him and he got it. Um, and he got how ocean and technology, you know, like can play a role together and how we can work towards helping the ocean. That Those must be pinch me moments just as an entrepreneur when you can go head to head with someone of his status and just be able to pick their brain. Do you think that uh, people have been extra willing to help you out throughout this process like other entrepreneurs? It, it definitely has taken a village, right? With any any movement, any great company, right? Even if, if the CEO is the, the public figure of, of the organization. I mean, Sustainable Ocean Alliance was built on, on the back of uh, Georgetown volunteers, right? That were working while building the summit at the early stages. Um, advisors uh, that I got, you know, got support along the way. Georgetown faculty, right? I had, I had maybe like ten or twenty uh, Georgetown faculty members that became like a family, right? They supported me, they gave me guidance, they helped with some funding from the university. So, you know, building that ecosystem of support is something that you have to cultivate. Like that's if you don't cultivate that community early on, you're not going to succeed. And and knowing as well when to ask the questions and being humble enough to say, I don't have all of the answers um, and just being true to yourself and to others. And that's how you're able to convince people about your vision um, and work towards this, like, this bigger goal, right? Right. I mean, you're such a wordsmith with how you talk and how you perceive things and just how you just sh- describe yourself and show up every single day. Do you think that being a young entrepreneur, uh, as young as you are, is an advantage or a disadvantage throughout, you know, building out this accelerator program and leading this? I would say you could see it both ways. Um, One advantage of it is that you start early on, right? I started when I was 19 years old. Um, And given that the reason why I started so young was because of the urgency I felt of the situation of climate change, right? Knowing that we can't, I can't wait until I turn 40 or 50 and I make, you know, some money in consulting or Wall Street and give it back because by then it'll be too late. So I guess in that way, it's an advantage um, of doing this early on. Um, but this advantage really comes from the credibility, right? That many people that I, I talk and meet with, they have no idea how old I am. And when I tell them my age, it's that moment when you look at them and they're wondering, you know, whether, whether you know, to even to continue the meeting or to, you know, take you seriously. Um, but then the work precedes you, right? They, they know exactly what you've done and the people that you've gotten around you. So um, I can see it both ways as, you know, being able to start early is great, but also sometimes people can just have the status quo or thinking you're too young, you may not know enough or you're not, you're not sure what you're doing. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, I love that. Uh, a recent guest we had, this uh, friend named Luke Hessler, he talked about how, 
he was a little intimidated because he's a really young guy building a business, um, talking to these people. And he realized all of a sudden that people would pay him for what he was doing. And that's where he started be- becoming a consultant. And he said he basically could condense um, each day. He would put in 16, 17, 18 hours into his craft every single day since you know the time he was 21 years old. And he thought about it. He's like, you know, I've been putting in say 16 hours a day since I was 20 for say four or five years that compounded that's more work than a lot of people in their late 40s or 50s have put on into something and just with that knowledge you can become as skilled as you want to anybody anywhere in the world if you just put enough time and effort into it which you're just the perfect example of it and quickly I mean you're one of the leading leaders and innovators inside of this space paving it the entire way which is just so exciting and it's just such a I mean it's just such an honor to a just be know you be friends with you and just be able to pick your mind because I mean you're, you're doing the thing that everyone wants to do everyone wants to help the oceans everyone wants to make an impact and you're just not taking no for an answer and that's you know the world is is grateful for Danielle Fernandez. That's for damn sure, and the entire SO Alliance because those are all just amazing people. So I, I'm really curious about you know what you're doing kind of on a daily basis. Uh, you know what like one of these our, our recent guests Rob Sperry talked about the minimums. Like what are you doing every single day, no matter if you're tired or uh, you had a long day. Like what are you doing every single day, no matter what. You know what does kind of become your daily method of operations that you have found that has made you become the success person that you can? Like, what are you doing every single day to ensure success? Yeah. So three things that come to mind immediately is one, I check in with my team. Um, you know, your team is your your life source. And if they're not feeling well, then you should be feeling well, right? If, they're, if they need to pick me up, you need to make yourself available to them and support them any way possible. So that's the one thing I would say, right? Just making sure that you understand, and especially when you're in a small organization or a small company, like the culture is everything. Um, to making sure that they're, they're doing well and if not asking how you can help them. Um, number two is, is educating myself. You know, there, there's so much out there as a, as a, you know, new and early CEO and as an entrepreneur that I just don't know. So, you know, reading an article, uh, listening to a podcast while at the gym, um, you know, talking to a, an advisor and mentor, someone that I just met, like every single day you have to find this, this new nugget of knowledge that you can, you know, think about and, and learn from. Um, and if you don't put that investment in every single day, you know, it won't compound to, to you changing in any way. Um, so that, that's definitely number two. And then number three is checking in with myself. Um, as far as, how am I feeling about a decision I made or how am I feeling about the organization as a whole or a project that we have going on? Many times people don't listen to their gut and I'm a big believer in that your gut feeling, no matter what the, the data is in front of you, I always trust my gut. So if I make a decision at, at the office or at work, I always you know, go, go back home and I'm, I'm just thinking about it, just like thinking about different ways it could have gone and checking in with that understanding of do I feel good about it or do I want to go back and change something? So I think those three things are, you know, come, come to mind right away. I love that. And I, a big a big thing I, I commonly hear from any successful entrepreneur, CEO, conservationist, whatever is finding out what you're good at and focusing on what you're good at and not trying to do everything at once. I think one of the hardest things that entrepreneurs struggle with is especially in the beginning, you are wearing, you know, 15, 20 different hats. 
And sometimes you run into this problem where you're doing everything subpar instead of one thing great. Is there anything in particular that you know that you particularly are just really bad at? And, you know, being able to outsource that has kind of saved you uh, a lot of time and stress. Yeah. So I'm the visionary <laughs> of the team. And I, before I hired my COO, I was doing operations and I just don't like operations. I, one of those things where I can do it just like anyone can do anything, but I just don't enjoy it. So now that I have a full-time COO, it's enabled me to do a lot more of what I'm good at, right? It's being a thought leader in the space, making these relationships, um, you know, getting new partnerships on board um, instead of focusing on processes and systems, which you need in an organization. Um, but I know that's just not my strong suit. And of course, I'm learning along the way as any other uh, CEO, you know, with that um the calibration that you need to have as you grow, but I definitely don't like operations. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's great. And and you're constantly traveling. You're constantly visiting these different com- uh, conferences and summits and, and speaking. Were you always a good speaker? Has speaking ever been something that has really, you've just been super nervous with? Because you seem like such a natural, right? Like, do you think that it's just been practice makes perfect? What do you think has made you such a good speaker over the years? It's definitely practice. I, my first, the first speech I ever gave was when I was a sophomore in high school. So I was thrown in. I, so I'll give you the backstory quickly. I volunteered for this uh, environmental nonprofit and they were having their, their first fundraiser and asked me to speak the day before just to tell my, my passion for the environment and why I'm volunteering for them. Again, one of those moments where you just like, I've never stood up in front of an audience and more so than in school, right? In front of people with, with real jobs and with funding and in the the different environment that I was in. So I was terrified. I had never spoken in public before, but then you realize that you just have no choice (laughs) but to do it and you wing it. And I got up there and just spoke. I, I told my story and that's when I knew that I, I felt comfortable sharing my experiences with others and I got energy out of it. Um, and from then on, I, I love public speaking and, you know, and talking and interviewing because it's, it's an exchange of ideas, an exchange of passions, right? And if you're able to inspire other people while, while you're doing it, that's what brings me joy and energizes me more than anything else that, um, that, I, that I do. Right. I think there's a lot of times people always thinking me, 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 like, what are people going to think about me? What are they thinking about? Like, how am I going to screw this up? That's going to upset these other people. But in reality, you have to understand people need to, to, to focus on helping others and, and providing value to others. And just like you said, that big smile that jumps on your face when you talk about helping others. I mean, you have a passion for it and people can see that right through your speeches every time you talk. I mean, you're loving what you're doing. You're the definition of do what you love. You'll never work a day in your life. But obviously, there's days where you're like, dang, this is a lot of work. But that's life. That's like anything that's worth anything. So out of all of these different conventions and conferences you've been at and all these different stages, is there one particular conference or summit you've enjoyed the most and you think was like the greatest conference you've been to on behalf of climate change? I've enjoyed the Our Ocean conferences, and the reason why I've enjoyed it so much, a little biased, but uh, Secretary Kerry started the Our Ocean conference back in 2014 with the idea of gathering world leaders in a UN-like setting to talk about the ocean's biggest problems, which before, when you think about the UN, there's different forums and breakout sessions where these issues are addressed, but there was never one home for the ocean. 
So Secretary Kerry gave it at home and I reached out to Secretary Kerry and his team back when I was a sophomore, the second year of SOA. And I said to them, it's great that you have this ocean conference going on. However, where are the young people and why aren't they being invited to this conference? So they understood the value of having young people involved and we were able to co-host this event with them. And we brought over, you know, 150 young people from 50 countries uh, to come and speak and present and just be in that environment. And for me, that brought me full circle, right? Because I was able to provide that same experience that I had as a freshman to other young people, hoping that it could be as life-changing as it was for me for them to go and do something more and bigger with their lives. So that happened with the State Department in 2016. And since then, every country that hosts the next Ocean Conference, we've been the co-host. So we've worked with the European Union, with the Indonesian government, and we're working with the Norwegian government for the 2019 Ocean Conference. Thoughts are things, you know, you, you thought it in your mind and it translated into reality. That's incredible. And that should be a lesson for everyone listening to listening to this is that you can literally think anything into existence. If it's in your mind, it's real. Now you just got to echo that out into reality. And, and this is a great example of it. Out of all of the different environmentalists and conservationists, is there anyone in particular that has impressed you uh, the most throughout this journey? I would say Al Gore, of course. He he was the father of the environmental movement, right? And, and I admire him so much because he was able to to talk about these very real and hard issues so early on in his career, right? When this wasn't even a, a hot topic. I feel like now the environment is something that is more, um, it's easier to talk about than back then. So he was definitely one of them. Um, another a great leader that I admire a lot is uh, Ray Dalio. He's been doing a lot of incredible work in bringing um, media and conservation and exploration to the forefront of our generation. Uh, so they're looking, uh, his company Ocean X is looking to do a series of videos and films to feature young explorers to get our, gener- our generation more excited about helping the ocean. So getting into the mindset of how can we reinvigorate young people, right? And show them videos and imagery and take them to the ocean, which sometimes it's so, so foreign and it's so obscure and you can't wrap your mind around it. Um, you know, Jack Cousteau was a role model for a lot of older people. So we need the Jack Cousteau of our generation. And I think that that's, you know, that that's what Ray Daly is trying to do. That's amazing. And earlier you mentioned some statistics. Do you mind sharing some statistics on where everything's at right now? Like maybe some rather alarming situations that we're in right now, just to kind of get a brief overview of where climate change is at? Yeah, so the, the one statistic that always blows my mind is that every bre- every second breath you take comes from the ocean. Many people think, just think about it for a second, a lot of people think that the rainforests and trees are the main source for oxygen, but it's not accurate. So the ocean gives off 50% of our oxygen, which if you think about it, if we don't have the ocean we lose half of our of our, our life support um and the currently you know with the decay and in plankton and in algae and with the coral reefs becoming acidified we're getting to that point where the ocean is close to dying so you know that that's one statistic of just understanding how important the ocean is to us um the other one is i mentioned plastic right we have so much plastic that is going through water streams which 
comes from a lot of rivers, um, but also just plastic pollution that we litter when we go to the beach uh, when we don't think about it. And I, I hope that people listening to this think about the, the next time they pick up a single-use plastic, right? And single-use plastic is literally a plastic utensil that you use one time and then throw out. I'm sure you you can think of a bunch of silverware and straws and cups and lids that we just don't need, which end up in our ocean. Uh, and the third thing I would say is also the um, the level of acidification that's happening in the ocean because of rising um, you know carbon uh, emissions that are that is being absorbed into the ocean space. So how can we reduce our carbon emissions and and help the ocean in that way? There's a lot of things to do for sure. Yeah, and where's your like? Where's your attitude? I mean, you're a super positive human, and and you believe we can do this. Like, what do you think timeline wise? Assuming everything went into play, assuming the government gets behind climate control, and everything imaginable good could have happened, do you think everything's reversible? And if so, what's the deadline on that? We have 12 years. So the recent uh, climate change report shows that we are at that tipping point, that if we don't reverse our or curb our climate um, emissions, we're going to be in a very, very difficult place. I think we can do it. And more than so, I think we, we are, it's our responsibility to put pressure on entities such as governments and corporations um, and politicians to do something right. But even more so than villainizing them, we have to take ownership ourselves, right? And even if you're a, a doctor, a lawyer, a finance person, scientist, right? You can do something in your own community. There was recently a, um, an article or a video on, on, on social media about this guy who started cleaning up uh, every single uh, plastic piece in his beach in, 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 in India. And he started this movement, right? He cleaned, it was like the, the world's largest, uh, biggest uh, beach cleanup effort. And this was one person that decided to, to take this upon himself. So if every person can do something, whether it is, you know, a local project, a, a, a new approach at work, right, talking to your supervisor or to your CEO and saying, you know, we want to have more, um, uh, you know, less meat in our cafeteria or get rid of plastic straws. I, I just feel like it is up to us to do something and, and we have the power. It's just it's a matter of deciding to take that action. Yeah. I, there's this one thing I've seen on uh, through YouTube videos. It's like this trash collector inside of the ocean, kind of like a Zamboni for trash and plastic. Um, what is that company that does that? Do you know what I'm talking about? There's, there's a few now, which is great news. Um, the one that has been really famous is the Ocean Cleanup. Um, that was created by a, a Dutch um, entrepreneur, Aboyan Slot. And that one is, you know, trying to pick up large pieces of plastic uh, along the, the Pacific coast. Uh, I'm not sure the one you're talking about, but the good news is that there's a lot of these small robots and vacuum cleaners that are popping up and we need more, right? So anyone out there who is thinking of an ocean innovation, you know, definitely go build it and, and we'll help you accelerate it through our program. That is incredible. So Daniela, looking back right now, you're super young, but four or five years ago, you're in school, you're a college freshman. What would you say if you could have went back in time and you could have whispered, you know, you had this like crazy moment where you're seeing yourself and you're like, listen, girl, I got to tell you something. You got to listen up quick because <laughs> I only got 30 seconds. A, B, C, and D, or just one, two, or three things. Is there anything that you would recommend to yourself looking back at your younger self that would have that you could have said to you that would have saved you time, stress, money, convenience, whatever, principles 
what would you kind of say to yourself as as a young college freshman just getting started? And it can't be, yeah. I wouldn't say anything because I wouldn't take it back for anything. It can't be that. No, no, no. I have a good one. Um, I would say to myself, know who you are and understand what you're willing to sacrifice. Because I spent a lot of time my freshman and sophomore year beating myself up for not wanting to go to college parties or for not feeling like I was sociable enough, feeling like I was an outsider. And and it's that, that status quo, right? That you feel the pressure of the world saying, you are a college student, you should be partying or you should be going on spring vacation or there are all of these you shoulds. And I struggled with myself knowing that I would much prefer to be in my dorm room, literally working on sustainable ocean alliance instead of doing anything social. <laughs> um, and it came to a point, I think my junior year, when I just said to myself, you know what? I'm going to own up to who I am. I'm not going to care what people think about who I am and what I'm doing. And just understanding that yourself and knowing what you're willing to give up for your dream and your passion, that would have saved me a lot of stress and, uh, and questioning of am I doing the right thing? Am I being antisocial? <laughs> you know, am I not being the person that I need to be? I realized that I, I knew who I was. I just wasn't comfortable with that yet. Yeah, that is some powerful stuff right there. I, I've, I know a lot of people can relate to that. Just trying to fit in, trying to do what everyone else is doing and not pursuing what you actually want to pursue and making those big changes in life. That's a, that's a phenomenal lesson. And this is kind of the staple and someone out there is going to listen to this and it's going to change their life. And it comes down to what would you say to that person that's right on the cusp of doing something big with diving into entrepreneurship or conservationism? So like maybe they're working a nine to five job that they either love or that they either hate. Maybe they're working, uh, making amazing money, you know, have a crazy lifestyle or maybe they're just, you know, doing something, not making what they feel they deserve and they're just kind of doing it because it's safe. But deep down in their in their heart, they're listening to you. They're hearing your story. They're seeing like, oh, my God, like what I could be doing over the last four years or the next four years, what I can accomplish. What would you say to that person that's right on the edge of taking that first leap into entrepreneurship or conservationism? I would tell them to be true to who they are and to, again, realize how hard are they willing to work? Because being an entrepreneur is not easy. I mean, it's late nights, working weekends, is taking ownership of everything that happens in your organization and knowing that that's, that's the, the path you want to take, right? So I guess that's, that's the one thing, right? So understanding, like, is this who I want to be? Um, and then the second thing I would say is don't, don't only think about your passion, but think about what makes you angry. Um, and for me, what made me angry was the fact that no one was moving the needle on climate change. And, you know, my passion for sustainable ocean alliance came out of out of frustration with the system. Right. So what pisses you off? I'm sorry for the language, but like what is something that you want to change and that you just can't let you know others uh, do it for you? And how can you take that rage and that passion and transform it into something magical that will actually change the world? So I'll, I'll leave you there. <laughs> Amen. Sacrifice the nine to five for the five to 10, you know? 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's beautiful. Well, Daniela, I thank you so much for spreading the word, spreading the good vibes. Uh, I know I'm just, I can't wait to continue following the journey and seeing what the Sustainable Ocean Alliance is doing, what the accelerator is doing, and seeing a hundred companies go through your accelerator program is absolutely amazing. I hope one of our guests today is one of those future applications to your accelerator and in changing lives in the way. So, how can people follow you on the journey? Yeah, so like you said, our, our Instagram, I, I'm at DVFernandez1 on Twitter. Um, you know, check out our, our social media page, Sustainable Ocean Alliance. And more than anything, if you're a young leader, you know, join our community. Uh, if you're an entrepreneur, join our accelerator program. And also, we're looking for mentors, right? So anyone with, um, you know, business background, or technology background that want to help these entrepreneurs, you know, feel free to uh, send them our way. Awesome. Well, again, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Thank you for listening to another episode of Len Jones Party of Two. If you enjoyed it, please leave us a review and subscribe to stay up to date on our new episodes. And remember, hope is not a strategy. Keep making moves. Till next time, peace.